0: I want to invite you to turn in Bibles with me to the book of 2 Kings chapter 7. 2 Kings chapter 7. So today we are concluding a series we started a few weeks back titled The Giving Church in which we are learning how we, as God's children, emulate uh, the generous heart of our Heavenly Father. Uh, Before I go on, I just want to mention if you have not received the communion element, please raise your hand or you're free to stop by and talk to one of the ushers and they'll be more than happy to give you a communion element this morning. At the end of the message, we'll partake together in receiving the bread and the wine. But we're, we're talking about today the conclusion of a series where we are talking about how we emulate the, the generous heart of our Heavenly Father. And as I mentioned at the beginning of the sermon, and I think I may have mentioned almost every week throughout this series, um, when, whenever we hear the word giving, we tend to think in merely of money, but, but giving or generosity extends way beyond just simply money. God has called you and I to be generous not only with our resources, but also with our time and with our talents, uh, with, with every aspect of our lives where we see ourselves as instruments in His hand. And so in, in the same way that you would have a earthly parent um, where the, the, you know, it would be said of them, oh, your, your children, you know, they, they look like their the parents, or they're, you know, the term, the chip off the old block, or the apple doesn't fall, fall too far from the tree. I think in a spiritual sense, uh, it should be, friends, that every time somebody encounters us, that what they walk away with is this sense of, this person is a Christian, this person is a follower of Jesus Christ. Um, you know, the early church, that's how they got the term or the nickname Christian. Uh, It wasn't Christians that gave themselves a nickname, it was unbelievers that gave them the name because they identified that the teachings of Christ were evident in the walk, in the lifestyle of these individuals. And so the idea is that as you and I are living out day to day in our jobs, in our neighborhoods, as we are in our schools, that every time we encounter people that they see Christ, that they taste Christ in us. Again, it's not about us being perfect. We don't have the capacity to be perfect. But God's desire is that everywhere we go, because we are His children, that it is evident in our lives, in our actions, that we are His. So God's desire, more than anything, is to help you and I come to a place where we are more and more, as we are walking with Christ, we are reflecting Him more and more. I think about the earthly friendships that I have. The friendships that I cherish the most. And I I recognize that, that over the course of time, you know, in building these relationships and friendships, that those individuals that I'm aligned with, they rub off on me that they tend to impact my life they impact my choices they impact my decisions they help shape my worldview and so in the same way god's goal god's desire is that you and i look more and more like christ that you and i reflect him in every aspect so over the last two weeks we learned the following number one that the given church a church that emulates god's generous heart always sows grace-filled generosity to others in other words That the generosity we extend to others, the generosity of our time, our talents, our treasures, is never because a person deserves it. Did you catch that? We are not called to be generous because the recipient or the potential recipient deserved it. And the reason why is because if that was the case, then none of us deserve God's generosity toward us. None of us deserve God's kindness. None of us deserve God's favor. None of us deserve God's mercy. The Bible says that even while we were still sinners, what did Christ do? He died for us. Even while we were still sinners, Christ died for us to demonstrate that God didn't wait for you and I to get our lives in order before Jesus did what He did. That in spite of us, in spite of our sinfulness, in spite of our brokenness, that God knew that there was no way that humanity could be liberated from the power of sin. And so He sent His Son to become that atonement for us so that we can be brought into relationship with Him. God did not wait for us to deserve it before He extended grace and mercy to us. And so in the same way, when it comes to how we extend generosity to others, it must never be because that person deserved it. God calls us to sow grace-filled generosity in other people's lives. In week 2 we learned that the given church shows benevolent generosity toward others. We looked at the church the, the, the church that was described in the book of Acts, the early church, and we, the scriptures show us how benevolent they were in their interactions with one another, how much they invested time with one another, how much they invested in each other's in each other's lives. Poured into each other's, uh, you know, by way of relationship, how, how they, they, they engaged one another, how, how they didn't just simply just gather for a service, as it were, or just for a, a prayer or a Bible study, but they, but they immersed themselves in community and they recognized that they were part of something bigger than the individual selves. And each one saw themselves as a tool that God could use to encourage the other. Why? Because there was this sense amongst the believers that we are in this together. That, that this walk with the Lord is not an individual walk. Yes, the Bible calls each of us to work out our salvation with fear and trembling. But we have a responsibility to each other. To encourage each other. To pray for each other. To support one another. That when we see a brother or sister who is strained, we don't look the other way. Well, that that's pastor's responsibility. Let him handle that. No, we in love. We run after our brother and sister. And we call them to order. Why? Because God's desire is that they walk in his will. And because it is his desire, it is our our desire as well. Are you tracking with me? God's desire is that you and I practice benevolent generosity toward each other. But today, I want to talk about the, generous, the giving church that sees generosity as a catalyst for igniting life change. And it is based on this idea, friends, that everything that God does to you and I is intended for bringing about a change in us. I heard a preacher say many years ago, God loves me the way that I am. And it is true. God loves me the way that I am, but this is the more powerful truth, is that God loved me too much to let me stay the same. A relationship with Jesus Christ is meant to change your life. Friends, if change was not involved in the equation, then Christ didn't have to die. But He died so that this way, in breaking the power of sin over our lives, that God by His Spirit can bring about a change to our nature, to our character, to our way of life, our way of thinking. A relationship with God involves change. In the same way that a baby that's born must grow. We don't expect a baby that's, that's 24 years old and is still a baby. We expect maturity, we expect change in the, per- in the baby's not only physical nature, but also in their thinking and in, their, in the way they process life and the world around them. In the same way, a relationship with God is meant to bring change in our lives. If you're looking for a relationship with God that doesn't involve you changing, friend, you're looking, you're looking for the wrong thing. God's desire is to change my life, to change your life, to help us to conform to the image of His Son, Jesus Christ. So everything God does to us or toward us is intended to bring about a change in us. But it's not only that, friends. God works in us so that, that He can also work through us. So in the same way that what God does to you and I is intended to bring change in us, What God does through us is intended to bring change in other people's lives. We must learn to see that our lives, our lives, our our time, our talents, our treasures, every aspect of us can be useful in the hands of God to bring change in somebody else's life. Not that we're the ones that are changing them to to what we think they should be, but that as you and I are pursuing Christ and we are being transformed by this relationship with Christ, that others are also seeing their need for Christ and a desire for Christ to change their own lives, that we are all walking with Jesus together. And I think this, this principle is illustrated best in one of my favorite stories from the Old Testament. It was in the midst of tragedy, God brings a great story of triumph. Second Kings chapter 7, verse 3 to verse 9 is this is the text we're gonna read this morning, but I want to share the backstory before we read the text. So this no scenario deals with the nation of Israel. At this point, the people of Israel uh, have been divided to the northern and the southern kingdoms. And, of course, you have the southern kingdom that's called Judah, which was made up of two tribes. You had the northern kingdom that went by the name Israel made up of the remaining ten tribes. And for most of the history of the northern nation, uh, their, their story with regards to the relationship with God was marked by a lot of just unfaithfulness. Um, idol worship. Um, just rebelling against God, against His will, against His rule in their lives, and of course, God would raise up prophets and He would raise up servants that He would speak through to to call the nations to order. and And there were times where God had to bring judgment against the people. Um, and so, in this scenario, the scriptures tell us that once again, the people of Israel, the Northern Kingdom of Israel, is in a season of just rebelling against God and disobeying His rule in their lives. And so as a result, the Bible says God raised up an enemy nation, as He had done so many times before. He raised up an enemy nation to come after the people of of Israel. And this particular nation was the nation of Aram, led by a king and a godly man named Ben-Hadad. And in chapter 8, the scriptures tell us that Ben-Hadad, excuse me, chapter 6, Ben-Hadad laid siege against Israel. So severe was this siege that supplies could not come in to the city, supplies could not leave the city. And invariably, a famine took shape. And so severe was this famine, catch this, that people began to resort to eating their own children just to survive. That's how bad it got. Basic commodities, bread, wheat, all of those things were so scarce, they were super expensive. Nobody could afford to live. In fact, there was a scene described in the earlier chapter where the scriptures tell us that, uh, that two ladies came to the king and essentially one of them came saying, you know, uh, you know he, this lady and I had an agreement that we were going to eat my child and then, and then when, when, we, when we were nourished, then we would, then we would eat, her, eat her child and then, and then when it was her turn to give up her child, she took off. Can you imagine how, how desperate these people had gotten But that's how severe this siege was. And yet on the outside of this this city walls was an army that had encamped and and were essentially living a life of luxury, food. I mean, just resources, just, just plentiful. And yet the scripture says that in one moment, God turned the situation around to where now he now the very the, the very thing that these people have been deprived of for so long, he gave them access to, but that only came because of four men, four lepers, who saw an opportunity to extend generosity to their city and because they believed that their act of generosity was going to change people's lives. So the backstory of that is this: these four men, scripture tell us. No, because they are lepers, and you know, back in those days, leprosy was one of those diseases that was contagious. In fact, people that had leprosy were cast out of the city, were not allowed to mingle with the rest of the general population. In fact, they would have what they call leper, leper camps, where, where those that, that share this illness would would, would stay, would reside. And, and so, of course, with this siege that had taken place, these four lepers... Um, were cast out of the city so whatever was going wrong in the city was also, they were also facing the same no food, no nourishment, no, no sustenance whatsoever and the scripture says that these four men decided that they were going to um, make their way to the, Ar- the Aramean camp and essentially ask for food and their, their, their suggestion was well, we're dying as it is so if we go to them and we ask them for food and they kill us right? But perhaps, and these four men went out, and the scripture says that when they went out, they found a different situation. I want to read again verse 3. Now there were four leprous men at the entrance of the gate, and they said to one another, why are we sitting here until we die? If we say we will enter the city, then the famine is in the city, and we we will die there. But if we sit here, we will also die. So now then, come and let's go over to the camp of the Arameans, and if they spare us, we will live, and if they kill us, then we will die. And so they got up at twilight to go to the camp of the Arameans, and when they came to the outskirts of the camp of the Arameans, behold, there was no one there. For the Lord had made the army of the Arameans hear a sound of chariots, a sound of horses, that is, the sound of a great army. And these Aramean soldiers said to one another, Behold, the king of Israel has hired the kings of the Hittites and the kings of the Egyptians against us to attack us. And so they got up and they fled at twilight and abandoned their tents, their horses, and their donkeys. Indeed, the camp itself, just as it was, and they fled for their lives. And when these men with leprosy came to the outskirts of the camp, they entered one tent and they ate and they drank they ate and they drank. They carried from their silver gold's clothes. First my register, I thought, what are soldiers doing with silver and gold and clothes on the battlefield? I mean what is I can understand food. But what are they doing with treasure? That makes no sense. But for whatever reason it was there. And these four men began to began to take these items and hoard them to hide them. Then they returned and entered another tent and carried valuables from there also and went and hid them. Verse 9 is the, is the focus this morning. Then they said to one another, we are not doing the right thing. This day is a day of good news, but we are keeping silent about it. If we wait until the morning light, punishment will overtake us. So now then, come, let us go and inform the king's household. And in the later verses, the Bible describes these four men going to the, the, the king's gate informing the soldiers that they had uh, come upon an empty camp and that there was food galore and literally the, the city was saved overnight. In that moment, the famine that had ravaged the city was no more. But it was in, on the heels of four lepers who had themselves been cast out but recognized that because they had come upon a great find felt a responsibility to share this find with those who had cast them out. When I talk to you this morning about a generous church or a given church or a a, a group of people who, who emulate the heart of a father, what I'm talking about is this idea, friends, that when we act generously toward others, that we must learn to see our generosity as a catalyst that God can use to bring change in a person's life. These four men could have chosen to ignore the opportunity before them, and yet they recognized what we have come across not only has it changed our lives, but it has the potential to change somebody else's life as well. And they, they extended that, 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 that benefit, that blessing, the favor that they had received, and an entire city was saved. Again, because they believed that their find could benefit others just as much as it had benefited them. I want you and I to understand this morning that everything that God does for us, as I mentioned to you earlier, is not simply for us but it's so that you and I might be a conduit, a channel through which He can bless others. And it's not because the person that we are called to bless deserves it, but it's because God has called us to be an extension of Him. How we demonstrate God's mercy, God's grace, God's kindness is when we are willing to say, God, use me to touch somebody else's life, whether they deserve it or not. Use me to be a tool that you would use to, as we mentioned in the beginning of the series, bring Jesus to someone who needs to understand the love of God, the grace of God, the mercy of God that is extended to them through Christ. And so this morning, I want to quickly answer to you this question. How does generosity benefit others? When we choose to be generous, when we choose to to practice graceful generosity, when we choose to practice benevolent generosity, how does it benefit others around us? And there are three things I want to challenge you with this morning. Number one, that your generosity is a benefit to others in the fact that, it reflects your awareness of their need rather than simply being consumed by your own. Human nature, friends, is to only focus on me, myself, and I. Human nature's priority is to do what caters, what satisfies, what longs, what fills my appetites and my desires. And yet the way of the kingdom of God is to look beyond ourselves and to follow Christ's example of looking to the interests of others. Not to suggest that we neglect our own responsibilities, the things that God has called us to, but God is saying that we must recognize that part of being a catalyst for change is seeing that it is not only our needs that exist, but that also the needs of others exist around us. So that our posture then becomes God, how can I be a blessing to whomever I come across? And you know what, sometimes blessing another person doesn't have to be something tangible. Sometimes it could, be something, it could be as simple as a word you speak to encourage somebody who may be going through a struggle and may not know what to do about their issue, but yet you speak a kind word, you speak an encouraging word, you point them to Jesus, you offer them Christ, and in that moment, you, 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 you demonstrate that you are not only aware of the needs you have, and, and just because you speak a word of encouragement does not mean your, needs, your own needs disappear, but that you're aware that there are needs around you as well. This is what the Apostle Paul says in Philippians 2 verse 3 and 4. He says we must do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit. But he says with humility we must consider one another as more important than ourselves. Again, we look at the scripture saying, well, is Paul saying that I'm, I I need to become a doormat to people? No, that's not what he's saying. But what he's saying is that we must embrace the selfless nature that Christ demonstrates for us. And, and it is Hebrew that describes it to us and says that he gave up the glories of heaven. And he came down and he took on, he he came down to earth, he took on the form of a man being fully God. Jesus became fully man. Why? So that he can give us life for the very same people who, who heard insults at him, who called him names, who who accused him, who, who, who questioned his motives, who questioned his what, what he came to do. Jesus came to give himself for us. And in the same way that you and I are called to emulate our Father's example, we must also recognize the importance of not being so consumed by the things that concern us. And we, we're willing to say, God, how can I be a blessing to somebody else? How can I be, how can I be a source of encouragement to another today? I think sometimes the pressure of what... God may ask us to give up for somebody else keeps many of us from wanting to even consider the possibility of being used by God to be a blessing to somebody else. But what I want to say to you is this, and this is my experience, friends, is that if God is giving you the opportunity to be a blessing to someone, what you need to be that blessing he will give you. You don't ever have to worry about what's going to, in in the sense of that, that God's going to deprive you because he wants to bless somebody else. Let let our posture simply be, God, use me. Whether it be my words, whether it be my actions, whether it be my help, my assistance, whatever it is that you lay on my heart to do, God, use me. Help me to be faithful. Why? Because, God, I trust that you will provide the resources that I need to do what you've called me to do. Paul says, do not merely look out for your own personal interests, but for the interests of others. A church that emulates the heart of a generous God is a church that recognizes that, you know what, I can't only be focused on my own needs. But I must be aware of other needs as well those four men you, you have to understand that as much as the people of israel were hungry within those four walls they were hungry as much as those the people within the four walls were dying they were dying as much as the people within the four walls had no prospect of any hope in that present condition these four men had the same remember their posture was if we go to the camp and they don't spare us we die In their minds, they were no different from the people who were within the walls. And yet when they came to this grave find, their focus was, it is not right for us to only think about ourselves. We must think about others as well. Your commitment to being generous can be the very thing that God could use to change somebody's situation around. And you may never ever know the full extent of what your action, your word, that that gift, you know, that, that investment of your time, your, your talent in that person's life, what it will do long term. And God is not calling you to have to know all the details. He's simply calling you to be faithful to the opportunity he's placed in front of you. Are you willing to be that generous one who is, who is a, who's willing to reflect to others that I, won't, I, I don't only care about my needs, but I care about you as well? Generosity not only reflects our awareness of others' needs, but generosity shows our acceptance of the divine duty of stewardship to God. Bible makes it clear to us that everything that we have, friends, is not ours, in the sense that God has given to us. He owns it all. And what God has entrusted to us, he entrusts to us so that we can use, not for ourselves, but we can use for what he has purposed it to be used for. Again, I'm not suggesting this morning that you're supposed to abandon the responsibilities and the, 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 the things that God has put in your lap and he has called you to be responsible for. But what I am saying to you is this, that God wants you and I to recognize that, that being faithful stewards to him is about using our time, our talents and our treasures to accomplish his purpose. Not just what we think we should be doing with our time, talents and our treasures, but that we are doing what God asks us to do. We must learn to see generosity as a divine duty that God has called us to. 1 Peter 4.10, Peter writes, Each of you should use whatever gift you have received to serve as what? As faithful stewards. Everybody say stewards. As faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. Peter is telling you and I that, 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 that the, 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 the various forms of God's gift in our lives. is... The, the grace is extended to our lives. The tangible ways, the intangible ways that God has blessed every one of us affords us the opportunity to now be the same for somebody else. And we must learn to see stewardship as about using our lives in the way that pleases God, in a way that, that supports and fulfills the calling that God has placed in our lives. It is a divine duty to be a faithful steward. Whether again going be your time, the stewardship of your time, the stewardship of your talents, your abilities, your skills, your giftings, the stewardship of your treasures, God calls you not to be faithful in what we use that which He has given us to do, because ultimately when we will answer to Him for it. And so we must have this portion in our minds that that God's stewardship, generosity, excuse me, is an opportunity for me to to demonstrate not only your provision in my life, but that I am also willing to allow the, to allow you to use what you've given me to also bless others as well. Generosity, friends, must must be. A a, a posture of our heart and our mind to say, God, I want to be a blessing. I want to be useful in your hands. I want you to use everything you've given me to bless others. I cannot tell you how many people God has used in my life, people who have invested in my life in ways that, that maybe they will probably never understand this side of heaven, but I'm grateful for their investment in my life. Whether it was, uh, was their time, whether it was their words, whether it was their actions, whatever it was they did was an investment in my life. Why? Because, because, because they recognized that whatever they did unto me wasn't unto me, it was really unto the Lord. And they were committed to honoring the Lord and what He had given to them. And if, I'm, if, I, if I can be a recipient of such great grace from the, at the hands of others, then what's stopping me from being the same for somebody else? God invites us to embrace this responsibility of being faithful stewards. And here's the last point. Generosity invites others to place their complete trust in the benevolent God. Again, I think back to these four men. They came to this empty camp that was filled with all kinds of goodies. And scripture says that they did not think only about themselves. They did not only care about their own needs, but they were committed to sharing this news with others. Realize that at the heart of their decision to share this good news with others was an opportunity for them to show a nation that probably had gotten to a point of discouragement. I- imagine what the, p- the people in the city must have felt like, knowing that with everything they were going through, that God was not doing anything. How many times have you and I maybe been in a situation ourselves where we were like, God, I mean, are you, even, are you even paying attention to what's happening in my life? God, are you going to do anything about what's going on in my life? And sometimes we find ourselves, we've addressed this before in a previous series, where we are going through a, a, a difficulty in our lives and we begin to lose hope. We are discouraged because we're thinking God is not listening, God, is not, God doesn't care, God is not wanting to do anything about our situation. You have to imagine what the state of mind of the people within those city walls were the, the sense of hopelessness, the sense of despair. The sense of of, of 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 just just submitting themselves to this faith and recognizing that nothing was ever going to change, at least for the foreseeable future, because of that army that lay encamped outside their walls. And yet, when these four men came into the city with good news, what they did was they renewed hope in the hearts and the minds of the people that you know what God is still on the throne, and that God is able to meet our needs even in situations or ways that we don't expect Him to. Because the way that these four men were able to come upon the camp wasn't because, again, you know, they, 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 they because, because, because man, man did what, whatever man does best to, to address his need. No, it was God Himself. Yes, the enemy nation thought that, that uh, foreign armies were coming to attack them, but there were no foreign armies. It was God that caused them to, 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 to come into the state of confusion where they thought that an army was getting ready to attack them, and yet it was not. And this is not the first time. If you remember, it was Elisha who, the scripture tells us in another part of, of Second Kings, where uh, the, 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 I believe it was the Syrian army that was coming against the, 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 the nation of Israel. And the scripture says that, that, that as it were, it was this, this, this angelic army that was coming and, 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 and to, to rescue the people. And, and it wasn't until God opened the eyes of one of the king's servants to see what Elisha saw. Did he finally understand that it is God that is always working behind the scenes to meet every need in our lives? When you and I recognize that the generosity can be a catalyst for God to use to change somebody else's life, it comes because we want others to understand, friend, you can trust God. That when we are generous, when we are blessing to people, that again, they recognize that they can trust God. I'll share with you this story because it's been a while since I shared this story before, but for me, it is one of the most powerful illustrations personally for me. of of the power of of God ministering to a person's life and helping them to to regain a sense of hope in his provision in their lives. When I was in college, I remember, you know, as a college student, you really don't have much money, right? You know, wherever you can get it, you're thankful for it. And I remember one particular day, I was in school the entire day, this was at the University of Houston, and at the end of the day, you know, at, the, at the end of my, my last class, I was looking forward to the entire class. I, I can't even tell you what my professor taught. I, I, I wasn't concentrating on what he was teaching because I was hungry. And all this while in my mind, I had this idea, this last few dollars in my pocket, I'm going straight. As soon as class is over, I'm making a beeline for that McDonald's on campus. I'm gonna go buy me a sandwich and I'm gonna eat. And that's all I could think of. And literally, class ended. I I I got picked up my stuff and I headed head to my car. I made a beeline straight for that that McDonald's, only to buy that sandwich. And an inner voice said, "It is not for you." And I thought, "Who? (laughs) No, (laughs) you know." At that point, you're thinking, "Get thee behind me, Satan!" No, this is this is no this this is my food. But there was a strong sense of, "This is not your food. You are not to eat this." And all this while I'm thinking, I am hungry, I am starving. It's going to take me at least an hour before I get to to Missouri City from downtown with all of the traffic. I don't want to wait that long to eat. I'm hungry. I need to eat now. But again, that prompting was strong. It is not for you. And so in my mind, I'm thinking, if it's not for me, then who is it for? And so I still started driving and I literally drove into a part of of downtown Houston I had never been to before. I didn't have GPS at that time. GPS didn't really exist. So, I mean, I was, just, I was I, wherever I went, wherever I ended up, honestly, it was God. And I remember I drove literally to a, a, a part of town where there was a homeless encampment as far as the eye could see. And I'm thinking, Lord, I'm here holding food amongst a bunch of people who are homeless. I am going to get mugged today. And, and again, I, you know, everything in me wanted to find a reason or excuse to leave that place but I felt the urge, somebody in here, this is for them. And I got out of my car and I started to walk. And as I'm walking past, you know, people in, in, in sleeping in cardboard boxes, I'm just thinking, Lord, let me just drop it to somebody and just, so I can leave, because I'm afraid, I'm afraid that somebody's gonna mug me, I'm, I'm holding food. And as I'm walking, I'm walking, I don't feel, a, don't feel a relief to stop at any particular person until I came up to this person and you could barely make him out. I mean, his feet were sticking out of the box, but he was sleeping in a cardboard box. And so my thought was, well, I'm just going to put the food right next to him and I'm going to leave. Hoping when he wakes up, he will see the food there he will eat. But I knew that if I did, there was a likely chance that somebody else was going to come and take that food. It was not mine. It was for him. And so I figured, well, I'll wake him up, try not to start on him, give him the food, and I'll leave. And so I, I, I gently tapped him. He, he woke up in a jolt. Of course, I was ready to run. He <laughs> became swinging. But he had the look on his face like, what do you want? I said, sir, you don't know me and I don't know you, but I just wanted to give this to you because I felt like God wanted you to have this. And this man immediately started crying. And this is what he said. He said, I went to sleep just asking God to just allow me to sleep so I don't have to worry about eating. He had not eaten for about two or three days and for him, the way to deal with the hunger was to just sleep. And at that moment, friend, I felt a great deep sense of guilt for even arguing with god because at the time i was so focused on my own hunger that i was oblivious to the opportunity that god wanted me to to have to to bless somebody else i don't know that man's name. i don't know where he is today but i i surely hope that after that exchange that he he came to recognize that that when you pray to god that god that your prayers don't fall on death again he said i pray God, help me to sleep so I don't have to worry about eating. And what God did was provide a meal rather than just simply make him sleep. There is, there is no telling what your willingness to obey God in an act of generosity it might be a simple act. to so you may seem insignificant, and yet God is saying, do it. Because it could be the catalyst for change in that person's life. Your job is not to worry about what the outcome is going to be. Your job is not going to be to worry about whether or not what you do, however it may seem in your eyes, is going to make much of a difference. Your job is to be faithful to what God is asking you to do. Let God deal with the result. I don't share that story with you to pat myself on the back. No, I share it with you to tell you I learned a valuable lesson that day about the importance of seeing every act of generosity as a tool that God can use to change a person's life. The early church, this is what they practiced everything they did for one another everything they did in relationship to each other was meant to be used as a tool that god can use to bless to bless to bless this needs to be our mindset friends and it's not just for for those who are within the house of the faith but even even more so for those who are not in christ that that in our interactions with them and our engaging them that everything we do to them everything we say to them that it's not about whether they deserve it or not because god knows they don't deserve it none of us deserve generosity but that at the end of the day, we see it as an opportunity that God can use to bless somebody and in doing so, draw them nearer to him. God wants you and I to emulate him in generosity. Not worry about whether our giving is making a difference. No, you give and trust God with the results. Let's allow God to use our, us as an instrument through which he will work in others. 2 Corinthians 8 verse 4 and 5, Paul says... Regarding the church in Macedonia, he said, they begged us earnestly for the privilege of sharing in the ministry of the saints, and not just as we had hoped, but they gave themselves first to the Lord and then to us by God's will. My prayer for every one of us this morning is that you and I would be tools that God can use to touch people's lives in a way that brings about eternal change. And if you're here this morning, you don't have a relationship with Jesus Christ, realize today that God loves you so much, and his desires for you to know him to walk in his love to experience the reality of his love every single day and to know that that this this god who we are called to emulate is a generous god who lavishes his love and mercy and grace on our lives and invites you and i to come as we are submit our lives to him but allow him to change us allow him to transform us allow him to make, to conform us to the image of his son jesus so that we can live lives that bring glory to him if you don't know christ today you can do so by, by, by asking him to forgive you of your sin, to come into your heart and life, and to change you. And he will do so. Scripture says he stands at the door and he's knocking. The question is, will you open that door and allow him to come in? Because I, I guarantee you, if you do so, he will change your life. There's a, there's a joy he will give you. There's a, a sense of fulfillment he will give you, a satisfaction he will give you that nothing in this world can ever give you. But you can't have it unless you know him. And I hope you'll choose him today. I want to invite every hip hop every eye as close as I conclude this time in the word and as we prepare to enter into a time of receiving the elements together heavenly father we thank you this morning for really god this series that we've covered over these last several weeks as we have talked about what it means to emulate your generosity first of all i want to just say thank you father for being such a generous god everything you've done for us lord is not because we've earned it or we deserve it or you owe us lord But God, it's because you are are a generous God. You're a kind God. You're a gracious God. You're a loving God. God, you don't hold our sins against us, Lord. But God, you you invite us, Lord, to, to embrace the provision that you have made. So that, God, our sin does not keep us from right fellowship with you, Father. And, God, thank you for that grace that is continually, Father, sufficient in our lives every day as we walk with you, Lord. Helping us become more and more like you and less and less like the world. God, thank you. Thank you that a relationship with you is changing our hearts and our lives. And that, God, it is in the context of this relationship. That, God, now you invite us, Lord, to be conduits, channels through which you can bless others. God, I pray, help us to be willing. Help us to be faithful. Help us to make ourselves available to you. Help us, Lord, to not worry about the results, Father, but help us, Lord, to just focus on obedience to your call. Every opportunity that we have, Father, God, help us be generous in our words, generous in our actions, generous in in our attitude, Father, generous in our response to others, God. Father God, give us grace, Lord, grace especially to deal with those, those, those interactions that can be very difficult and may challenge our, may us may in, our, in our spirit, Father God, and may, may, may cause us to want to ex- justify not, not being generous. God, help us, Lord, to rely on your grace so that, God, we can do what you've called us to do. God, help us be a generous people so that everywhere we go, may people see Christ in us. And Lord, for whomever may be here today who does not have a relationship with Jesus, God, I pray that in this moment, in this moment that God, as they call on your name, as they ask you to come into their heart and life to change them, Father, God, I thank you that, God, you are doing just that. The Bible says that to those who believed in the name of Jesus, you, God, have given the right to become children of God. And God, I thank you, Father, for whomever here is here today, that, God, they would come to know Christ. And Father, find in in him a, a new identity. And Lord, experience, Lord, the beginning of a changed life.